Go ahead and have a seat. Well, good morning. How's everybody this morning? Good? It's a little dreary outside. There's coffee in the back if you all need it. I'm going to try and do this. So if you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of James, that's where we've been so far in 2017. Um, we've been exploring chapter 1, and actually we'll wrap up chapter 1 this morning. Um, so if you take your Bibles and you, you go with, uh, in the, with me to verse 19, that's where we'll start, and we'll go to the end of the chapter. Um, if, uh, if you're unfamiliar where James is, if you haven't been with us, uh, if you go towards the end of your Bible, you can see the book of Hebrews. Um, it's a relatively large book towards the end of your Bible. If you go to the book of Hebrews, then... Uh, James comes right after that. If you see 1st, 2nd Peter, or a John with a number in front of it, you've gone too far. Um, but the book of James is where we have been. So this morning, again, we're going to be in verses 19 through 27. And we're going to read these together um, this morning. Go ahead and follow along with me and read your copy of God's Word. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there are some, I think, on that table, maybe? Any left? They're all, are they all gone? One, one left? One left. So if you're the lucky person who needs that one, go ahead. Let's read this together. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who intently looks at his natural face in a mirror, for, for he looks at himself and goes away and forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and per perseveres, being no hearer for who, he, for, uh, for who forgets. Let me just read that again. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, Perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So this is a relatively familiar passage to us as we look at the book of James. And as we've been in the book of James, obviously it's important for us to keep in mind what James' readers were going through. So James is writing to a group of Jewish Christians, right? He's writing to this group of Jewish Christians who are spread out across the region. Um, they're not focused in one spot, but they're spread out throughout the region. And so he, this letter is something that would be circulated to them, um, and they would be reading. These people were undergoing some serious economic and social persecution wherever they were. Um, and so what James is doing is writing to them to encourage them in the difficulties that they're going through and to encourage them uh, to remain steadfast. We see that, we've seen that as we've looked um, in the first several weeks of our study together. If you look at the beginning of the book, in, in verse 2, James immediately uh, admonishes his, his readers, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. 
For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and steadfastness has its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So James really wants to accomplish a few things for us as he's writing this to these Jewish Christians throughout, throughout the region. He wants to accomplish for them a few things. He wants to show them that the trials that they go, they're going through are, in fact, temporary and not eternal. That the things that they deal with on a daily basis, the persecution that they're undergoing, is not something that will last forever, but is only a light momentary affliction that is for the here and now. And he encourages them, don't, don't circumvent these trials, but look through them to the eternity that God has promised you in Christ. I mean, then as he continues throughout the course of this book, he, he begins to pick up on some other themes. We start to talk about wisdom, and James is really sort of an a, a amalgamation of, of wisdom literature and this letter writing to these people in a particular place. If you look in verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. So one of the primary themes that James wants to deal with throughout the course of this letter is is wisdom. Um, godly wisdom in particular uh, set apart, uh, set up against or in contrast to wisdom of the world. Godly wisdom says look at your circumstances, look at the place that you are in this world and consider the fact that this is temporary, that there is something eternal coming. Uh, worldly wisdom uh, by, uh, in, in contrast to that says no, this is all that there is. Everything that's here is, is all that there is. And that's something that's pretty common in our world, and that's kind of a touch point for us, right? That, that there are a lot of people that we encounter on our day-to-day -day basis who live like and believe that, that right now is it. This is all that we get, so you better make the most of it in this time. And so he continues on throughout the, the beginning of chapter 1 and, and starts talking then about the, the core and the, those who are set up or who are marginalized by society and sort of cast aside in, in society. And he, he really encourages his readers to look at those people and to say uh, to themselves, um, you know what, we are the people of God who were in a place of spiritual, uh, we were spiritually marginalized in a place where we were disenfranchised from God, in a place where we were unable to accomplish anything for ourselves spiritually. Um, and so James then admonishes them and says, hey, you need to begin to identify with these people instead of set them aside. As, as the book goes along, we'll begin to see that, that as James encourages readers to engage with the people who are marginalized in society, we see then that not only is he asking them to do that, but it's really a, an important thing for them to do because of the fact that the people who are rich and who have means in the, their world have the ability to make their life easier. And so when we get to next week, where we get to the beginning of chapter 2, just look at the first verse there. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And then he goes on to describe the situation where you might, if you perceive that someone is of means, show them partiality. And what James saw is that, in that, people would uh, begin to show partiality to people who were of means in their society as a way of making their life easier. And he said, that's not the goal here. The goal is not to make your life easier, but to fix your eyes on eternity, to fix your eyes on what God has accomplished for us in Jesus, so that we might uh, come to the end and hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. So that's kind of like the background, sort of where we've been 
in the book of James so far. But if we look now at verses 19 through 27, we see some really practical things for us here. Some really practical wisdom here. And I think if we look at this, this is a pretty straightforward text. There's not a whole lot of, of stuff going on here. And he sort of presents us with a ladder, right? He presents us with this ladder where he says to us, Hey, don't, let, uh, don't, don't, be, um, don't be quick to speak or uh, quick to anger, but be, uh, but be quick to hear in contrast to it. And so he gives us this, this first rung of the ladder, which is quick to hear, be quick to hear. But then if you go down to verse 22, and this is kind of the direction that we're going this morning, but if you go to verse 22, he says, Be doers of the word, not just hear, so he gives us the second rung, right? So hear, but don't hear only. Do. And then, and finally, in the last paragraph there, if your Bible has it broken up in paragraphs, in verse 26, you see, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not rattle his tongue, but he deceives his heart, this person, religious, is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstained. So first rung to hear, second rung don't only hear, but do, and then the final rung of the ladder is to uh, do good. Do good. So, as we look at this text, I think the immediate thing that we think to ourselves is, um, is boy, if we're saying something but not doing it, that's, that's hypocritical, right? If we're the people who, who, are, who are saying things, and nobody likes a hypocrite. That, that, that's true. That's true, right? Does anyone love hypocrites? No. Nobody's like, okay. And, and yet, I mean, the, the irony of it, I've heard so many times people who are disparaging the church in general saying, we just don't like hypocrites. What they're actually saying is, we don't like hypocrites who don't know they're hypocrites, right? <laughs> because we're all hypocrites. We all say one thing and do another regularly. When people say, well, I don't like a church that's full of hypocrites. The church is full of hypocrites. Well, yeah, obviously. Everybody is, everybody is in the same sinful state. What you're saying you don't like is hypocrites that, that don't know they're hypocrites. Nobody likes hypocrites. And in fact, we get really upset when we see someone pushing this cause, but then living a life that doesn't sort of, isn't commensurate with it, that doesn't, uh, isn't in line with what, what they're saying. So we might turn on the TV and flip on, I don't know what, what network you might watch or who watches networks anymore? You might, uh, you might turn on your, your your premium cable package, and you and you see somebody that says, "Oh, um, that's great that you're giving money to a clean water initiative in Africa." Well, you and your own Orange County home take a 90-minute shower and leave the water on while you brush your teeth, right? Nobody nobody likes that. Everybody says, "Oh, that that's so hypocritical." Um, when I was in middle school. Um, and, and some of you who are my age probably will pick up on, on this. There was this cool group of people, right? And they were called skaters, right? Everybody skaters? Yeah, okay. My generation over here were like, yeah, skaters. So um, skaters had a particular way that they dressed, right? They looked a particular way. They had these cool, baggy jeans. And they would walk around, and they had these cool, and you knew that they were skaters because of the way that they dressed. Um, these jeans are called Jenkos, um, and that, that's the way that you knew that they bladed or they, they skateboarded, right? And they would, everyone was like, oh man, those skaters, they're so cool. But if you bought some of those jeans and you wore them, and then people found out that you were not a skater, you were a poser. You were, you were a poser. 
You were a faker. You had, you, you were saying something to the world about who you were without having any substance behind it, right? That's what you were doing. Um, and so James gets this idea, and he's, what he's saying here is like, is, let's not be posers. Let's not be fakers. Let's look at this together and think about it practically. He understands that there's this practical element contained here for James's readers. Um, and so remember, like we talked about last week, the goal is when we look at the book of James is to, to put these glasses on, right? To think about the way that, that God is working in our lives or around us. To put these glasses on and to say, you know what, we, we need to see the world through godly wisdom and not worldly wisdom. We've got to put those glasses on so we're going to see the stop signs so we're not blowing through stop signs so we're not crashing into their cars so we can pull out of the driveway so that we can endure to the end of, of our trip. And we need to keep our destination in mind. That's one of James' primary purposes here. Keep the destination in mind. Keep the destination in mind. Keep the destination in mind. And so how does this text then fit in? That kind of brings us to the big idea for this text this morning. Um, and it's simply this. Jesus steers his readers away from flippant speech to be hearers, but not hearers only, doers who identify with the marginalized. Right? And so that takes us back to that idea of that ladder, to be hearer, not hearer only, but doer, not doer, uh, not just a doer, but a doer of, of good. And that's kind of what's going to guide our time this morning. So let's, let's focus on this first chunk of text here then in Verses 19 through 21 in particular. So James in 19 says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And James tells the first thing there, quick to hear, quick to hear. Let, every, let everyone be quick to hear. And he'll sort of pick up on this idea later. But listening means for us practically, listening means we're not talking, Right? Which is why he gives the next part. He's like, be slow to speak. Listening means that you're not talking. And this is really important. Okay, so one of the ways that we know this is important, because James sprinkles examples of flippant speech throughout his whole, his whole letter. He gives us a bunch of examples what this might look like for a person who is quick to speak and slow to hear, as opposed to quick to hear and slow to speak. So in James 1.13, uh, so what we saw last week, what we read last week, he writes this. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So this is an example of flippant speech. If you, if you are enduring something in your world, if you're going through a trial, and you're saying, I'm being tempted by God, James is saying that is not in reality what's going on. You are subscribing to a worldly wisdom and allowing that to govern this flippant speech. As we go through the book of James then, in James 2, 2 through 4, and this is part of the partiality thing that we mentioned earlier. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes to your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, when he says into your assembly, he sort of means the church, when he comes in amongst the people of God, and he comes in and he looks rich, and there's another man, a poor man, who comes in in shabby clothing, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and says, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, you 
Have you not made distinctions among yourself and become judges with evil thoughts? So James then actually like says or writes then what you would say. Say, you sit here in a good place to the rich person. Or you sit over there in the corner, you shabby looking person. He's making distinctions, right, based on their external appearance. And James is saying, that is unwise. That is not commensurate with godly wisdom. In fact, it is the exact opposite. It is worldly wisdom. And so that bears itself out in then speech. And 2.14, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has, says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith, faith save him? Again, flippant speech is saying, I have faith, I believe, but then works that are not commensurate with it. 2, 15 through 16. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, one of you says to them, go, go, be, go in peace, be warm, and be filled without giving them the things that he needs for his body, what good is that? Again, speech that is not accompanied by action is flippant and subscribes to worldly wisdom, not Godly wisdom. 2.18, another example, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from works and I will show you my faith. By my works is what James says. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works and so we're both good. And James says, no, it's a package deal. Flippant speech says, you have one, I have one, we're all good. But James says, um, it is a package deal. And then in uh, chapter 4, verse 13, James writes, come now, you who say... Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Again, this is an example of flippant speech because it is a, it is a flat out denial of the fact that, that your life is a vapor. That it is something that is not guaranteed, tomorrow is not a guarantee for you, but it is something that is given to you as a gift. You must then look into, God the wisdom says, look to eternity and see what God has God has prepared for you, uh, while worldly wisdom says, make plans now because this is it. This is all you get. So, James is making this point here. The way that we talk indicates if we are seeking godly wisdom or subscribing to worldly wisdom, right? Worldly wisdom says, God is tempting me. Godly wisdom says, my desires are the source of my temptation like we saw last week. God is building my faith. Worldly wisdom says, rich guy, come over here, hang out, have a nice seat, uh, let's, let's hang out together. Uh, you have my ability, the ability to make my life easier here on earth. Godly wisdom says, there's no partiality. The first will be last. And the last will be first. Godly wisdom says, or worldly wisdom says, I have faith, don't judge me by my works. I have faith, don't judge me by my works. God says, your faith will bear fruit. Worldly wisdom says, speak good, be warm, and be filled. Godly wisdom says, do good, and don't just speak it. Worldly wisdom says, tomorrow will come, so let's make big plans. Godly wisdom says, today is a gift, and tomorrow is not a given, so plan accordingly. So, as we look at this, it's clear then that James practically wants us to see that every person should be quick to hear and slow to speak. Um, and there's this anger element, right? But Jesus says, if we look back in the Gospels, Jesus says to us, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Right? Out of the abundance of the heart, that mouth speaks. And, and what he is saying there, the context of that, is that he is, he is admonishing his uh, followers that it's not what goes into a person that defiles them, 
but what comes out of the person. What comes out of them in the form of their speech. What comes out of them and what they say. Well, why would Jesus say that? Um, because if you're filled with godly wisdom, you will speak accordingly. If you're filled with wisdom of the world, you will speak accordingly. But, um, so even, even as James is writing to his Jewish audience, even as James is writing to these people, they would have had strict laws regarding what they could eat, right? And so Jesus, when he says, it's not what goes in, it's what comes out, he's, he's shifting their, their, their understanding now. No longer is it something that, that you just can't do. No longer, as Paul says in, in, in Colossians, is it just a matter of do not taste, do not touch, but it is a matter of um, what is actually going on inside of you, in your heart. So, as we look at this, then in verse 19, subsequently he says, um, be slow to anger. Again, anger is a is also a reaction that is in line with, with worldly wisdom. Um, the world oftentimes, not exclusively, but oftentimes says, hey, you're suffering. Get angry about it. Right? You're suffering. Get angry about it. I think we can all probably think of examples where that has taken place in our own lives or in someone, or, or uh, where we can look and see uh, in, in our society that taking place. Um, the reason why this is not a godly response is because this is um, the way that we actually glorify God is to um, is uh, when we suffer um, we don't retaliate and we don't act in hate right so just as Jesus Jesus is being the the example for us if we think about ourselves anger is actually is typically driven by our circumstances right. It's typically something that's driven by our external circumstances. Um, so we're driving down Maine and that guy cuts us off, right? And we're, we're like, oh, come on, that, get out of here. Um, or he stole our parking spot at Walmart. Um, maybe it's cold out. Um, and we feel then like someone has wronged us. But that's a posture of what we think that we deserve, right? What do we think that we deserve? We think that we deserve that, or we think that we deserve not to be cut off in traffic, or we think that we deserve to not be, or to get that parking spot over that person there. And we get mad. Um, yeah. And so what James then is saying is, uh, when we're slow to anger, we actually reflect the truth of the gospel. Because Jesus was falsely accused, he was spit on, he was stripped naked, he was beaten, um, and he was hung on a tree, which is a cursed way for a Jew to die, and he spoke the words on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Um, so, looking at that, getting your back ripped to shreds and nailed to a cross, and praying that his Father would forgive them um, is, is not the way that we oftentimes respond to our circumstances. Uh, but we get mad when, our, um, when, when we forget to pick up milk at the store or whatever it is. So when we suffer as Christ suffered, we're reunited with Christ uh, when we respond in forgiveness and not anger. And that's why James tells us then to be slow to anger. Um, Therefore, as a result of being slow to anger, we bring glory to our Heavenly Father. So James then is painting this portrait for us, right? Being slow to speak, slow to anger, and then 
quick to hear, but then what comes next in verse 22 um, is of utmost importance, right? He's building on this theme for us. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Okay, so we're slow to speak and slow to anger. That means we're quick to hear, but then what's next? Um, get the hearing thing down, James says, that's great, but that's not all. That's not all. Now we've taken what you have heard, and now it's time to apply it and to be doers, not just hearers. If you hear only and do not do, you are, what does he say, deceiving yourselves. Um, and so James gives us this, this little picture here. He paints a portrait for us, which is nice because we don't have to work for it. Um, he just gives it to us here in verse 23. For if anyone is a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, um, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Um, it's like you're looking in a mirror and saying, oh, that's what I look like, and then turn around and walk away and forget totally what you look like. That's what James says if you are a hearer only and not also a doer. Um, verse 25, then, is, is of utmost importance. But if the one who looks at the, into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And this is kind of the summary of that simile for us, right? This summary of, of what it means to be not a, not a hearer only, but also a doer. If you look at what God requires, the law of liberty, what he states, which James illuminates for us, if you look down, if you go into uh, next week's text, if you look at verse 8 in chapter 2, if you really fulfill, this is what James writes, if you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. You are doing well. If you fulfill the royal law, um, you to love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. The command here to love your neighbor as yourself. So if you hear, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, but then you, uh, then you don't do it, then you're the guy who James is talking about, who looks in the mirror, who sees himself, and who walks around and completely forgets what he looks like. Completely forgets what he looks like. But look at the, the, uh, the result then, at the end of verse 25. He will be blessed in his doing. He will be blessed in his doing. Not blessed in that you're going to get a Lamborghini next week. Not, not blessed in something, some external thing. But be blessed that you're living in complete freedom. That you're able to carry out the law of liberty. That you, you're free from hypocrisy and hearing without doing. That the focus is taken off of you and placed on uh, Christ and then subsequently others. No longer do you exist for yourself. And in that you will be blessed. You will be blessed. So that kind of brings us then to verse 26 and sort of the end here of this passage. And what James wants people to understand, his readers in particular to understand is that if you're hearers and doers, that's going to work itself out in a particular way, in a particular way. Um, and so the idea here is to not just, not just hear, but do, and then to do good. This is the final handle for us. James writes, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religious religion is worthless. Okay, so let's... 
take a sidebar here and talk for one second. Um, something that our culture, Christian culture in general, has spoken to us for a long time is that um, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship, right? How many of you have heard that? That's something that we've heard, right? Um, that, that's good. Um, that, that's true. Um, because it certainly involves a relationship. But, but Christianity in its sense, as James is even writing to a, a structured group of people, is a religion. It's not a religion in, its, in itself. There's a set of standards and commandments that structures all of it. Right? It's all governed by this, this set of standards and commands that the Bible clearly lays out for us. But what makes Christianity different, and why this is good news for us, that it's not just a relationship but also a religion, is that we are not the ones who are held responsible to uphold those commands and structures. That those things are upheld in Jesus, in his work on the cross, and his person. Your relationship with him means that what is accomplished, what he has accomplished, is given to you. That's what it means. What, what, you, what, what, what is required of you in Scripture is not attainable by you, but given to you. So if you're given the Spirit, you're washed clean of your sin, you're given righteousness, and then you're given the Spirit, and you're progressively being made more like Jesus here on earth, but ultimate perfection will come in eternity. You are not, um, ultimately, if you are in Christ, ultimately, you look at the Bible and see all of these commands that are given to you, and you say, I can't keep those. How am I supposed to keep those? And God says, in Jesus, it has been done for you. Place your trust in him. So what James, that's an aside, so what James is saying then is if you hear and you do, right? If you look at verse 26, if you hear and you do, but you don't bridle your tongue, then you're deceiving yourself. You're, you're a poser, right? You're a faker. Because, again, what Jesus says to us in, in the Gospels is that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If your words are not commensurate, if your words are not in step, if your words are not in line with what, with, with what, uh, with what you do or the action that you take, uh, then you are a poser or a faker. You're just simply making it all up. So if you do nice things for people, but you engage in flippant speech that we talked about earlier, then your religion is, what James says, your religion is worthless. If you're just doing stuff, your heart hasn't been changed, that's worthless religion, he says. If your heart hasn't been changed, if there's not an internal transformation taking place, then, then that religion is worthless, is what he says. Your speech indicates what's in your heart, again, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It is literally, your mouth is literally a window to your heart. It is literally a window to your heart. The words that come out of your mouth literally are a window to your heart. So look then in verse 27. After he says that, he says, this is what it looks like then to, uh, to have pure and undefiled religion before God. This is so important. A pure and undefiled religion is this, to visit orphans and widows in their afflictions and to keep oneself unstained for the world. When James writes about widows, we've 
We've talked about this in the past, especially as we were going through Advent and talking about Mary and Joseph in particular. Um, a widow is not someone we think of in our society. A widow is just someone who's, whose husband dies, who's a woman whose husband dies. Um, and actually, this culture it was a much broader definition. So if, if a divorce took place or, or death or there was a betrothal that was cut off, this, would be, uh, this individual would be considered a widow. Now for James, his readers would have, would have heard widow, and that was the most marginalized group available in culture. Because this was a group who wouldn't be able to generate income for themselves on any level. If they had kids, they wouldn't be able to, their family might take care of them, but their family also might cast them aside. They might cast them out. Um, they, might, they might set them aside and say, hey, what, what is taking place for you? I'm sorry, we can't help you. And then that individual would be on their own. So there would be, literally, it's a hopeless position. It's literally a hopeless position, societally, for someone to be in, for someone to be considered a widow in James's day. The same thing for orphans. If your parents die, you have no way to, to provide for yourself. It would be, it would be a, a pretty rare occurrence for an adoption to occur in in this society. This is just the way that it was. We cast out a study. Children, Jesus spent a lot of time talking about children. Children in general would have been thought to be a lesser part of the community, a lesser part of society um, until they grew up and could begin to contribute to it. Um, so the call then by James when he says religion that is pure and undefiled before God is not to, um, is not to just limit, we can't, what we can't do is look at this and just say, widows and orphans, that's it, they go to the top of the list immediately. What he's saying is, identify the marginalized in your culture. Identify the people who are having a tough time providing and care for them. Care for them. The poor, the disposed, the disenfranchised. These are the people that we, the church, are called to identify with first. Um, and we should understand this more than anyone, again, because it's such a clear picture of what the gospel is. That this is a, there's this holy God and he's set apart entirely, looked down at his creation, what he made and saw complete devastation and separation from him because of our sin. I mean, he condescended and came to earth and obliterated that sin barrier so that we can have right relationship with him. That's what it means. He didn't look at us and say, oh, look at those people in the shabby clothing, let's leave them aside. Jesus said very clearly, I came for the sick and not for the healthy. And this is a hallmark then of what it means to count it all joy if we look back into Verse 2 of chapter 1. This is a hallmark of what it means to commit to, to count it all joy in the midst of trials. And who is seeking godly wisdom? Godly wisdom looks through the trial and says, it's not about me. Worldly wisdom sees and fails to see through the trial and says, woe is me. Which is why then, I think James concludes this section with this uh, statement. And to keep oneself unstained from the world. And remember, throughout this text, it's not what goes in the body that defiles a person, but what comes out. It's not that what goes into the body that defiles a person, but what comes out. So for James, when he writes this, he, what he wants his readers to see is um, it's, not, uh, it's not about not eating pork or some kind of thing that we, uh, is, is laced with GMOs or something like that. 
Um, those lines that we heard, I don't know, this might be a thing from the South that I picked up in the South, I don't know if it's here, but there's like this, this line, it's like, don't smoke or chew or go with girls who do, right? But again, it's not, it's not a, um, it's not something that goes in, but what comes out. And so the heart then is the source. And so this, this clause here, this section of text, to keep, uh, to, uh, and to keep oneself unstained from the world really offers us the summary for this whole chunk of text. Don't just listen, or therefore listen, speak slowly, get angry slowly. But don't just listen, do, and don't just do, do good according to the word. And these are the markers of a life full of godly wisdom, a life that is unstained then by the world. Okay. So this text, right? Pretty practical, pretty in your face. Um, I think it just begs a few questions for us or, or leads us to a few questions just to ask of ourselves this morning as we go from here to consider together in our communities, to consider um, throughout the course of the week, right? So just some questions for us to pose to ourselves. Um, firstly, and actually kind of a group of questions. Firstly, though, are we quick to hear? Or do we speak quickly and get angry quickly because we believe we are owed something? Um, for the readers of James, for those who picked up this letter and read it, um, they would, be, would they be quick to hear godly wisdom as they underwent this social, this economic pressure? Would they be quick to hear godly wisdom? Or would they speak quickly and say things like, we saw last week, God is tempting me. Or they see last week, God is tempting me. Like we saw last week, God is tempting me. And invite rich people to sit at their table and to relieve some of that social and economic pressure. Or would they identify with the disenfranchised, the disposed, those who, um, those who were struggling in the world. And then for maybe what you're enduring in daily life, God is... He's got teaching you about who he is. Are you God? Are you showing me how you're building my faith and not eroding it? Are you showing me how you're for me and not against me? So that's the first thing we need to be asking. Are we quick to hear? Are we slow to speak? And are we slow to get angry? Just right out of the text. Secondly, are we actively evaluating our speech as we look at verse 26 in particular? If anyone thinks he is religious but not to bridle his tongue, he is deceiving his heart. Are we actively evaluating what is coming out of our mouth? Scripture is clear that it's God who knows the heart, right? Only God truly knows the heart. He knows us better than we know ourselves. But the contents of the heart are revealed in, this, in speech. So if we're actively evaluating what our speech is, we see things popping up. Do we, do we fear man by the way that we speak? Do we fear man? If we do, then we'll see the way that we, the way that we speak. We'll struggle to speak difficult truths to others in our community. If they're going through something, if there's sin that's readily apparent in our life, we will, if we fear man, we will struggle to speak those difficult truths to a brother or sister. Um, are you harboring bitterness in your heart? Are you harboring bitterness in your heart? Then you will probably engage in gossip um, with the people or towards the person um, that is the subject of that bitterness. Um, are you dissatisfied with your work? Your speech will regularly illustrate discontent with other areas of your life, whether you're actually discontent or not. 
Are you consumed by your own interests above the interests of others? If they are, you'll talk about yourself and really ask about other people. There's practical things. Just practical ways that your speech, and there are many examples. So if we're actively evaluating our speech, then we will, we will see then the contents of our heart. Lastly, then, question for us, are we doers and not just hearers? And here's sort of where the rubber hits the road a little bit, or maybe a little bit more than it has. Sunday morning is sort of the easy part, right? Sunday morning is sort of the easy part. Come, we sing, um, we read scripture. It's a vital importance. It's incredibly important, but it's sort of the easy part. You, you, we, we just, we, we, we can engage and we can sneak out. But the Christian life ultimately isn't a once-a-week activity. When James wants his readers to see this, it's not a once-a-week activity. When you're listening to what, what, James, what the letter is, what James is communicating to his readers, when you're listening or reading it, um, it's not something that happens in a vacuum. It's not something that happens once a week. Um, throughout all of Scripture, we see that the Christian life is an ongoing death to self. It's an ongoing death to self. Um, it's a push towards knowing God. And if we come into a worship setting like this and, and walk out and never think about God or, or what He's doing or the gospel or the people of this community or the common identity that we have in Jesus um, and completely ignore the commands to love God and to love neighbor, then we will walk away from this place. I mean, we will be that individual who looks into the mirror and sees himself and turns away and does not remember what his own image is. And then, are we taking that doing seriously? Are we loving our neighbor? Are we evaluating? Are we thinking about how it is that we can love our neighbor? Who are cast out by society, financially and socially, down and out? Are those the people that we're identifying with because of the way that God identified with us in Jesus Christ? Okay. So there's a, there's a lot of questions to ask. Um, but the final thing that I want to say this morning is, and even that, that, that sort of evaluation can be like overwhelming, right? The final thing that I want to say and what James wants to communicate to his readers is not just that that's it. That's not the end of the line for us, right? The final thing to consider is rest. We are called as a community to do these, to uphold these things, to work through these things, to be slow, quick to hear, to be slow to speak, to be slow to anger. We're called to be doers and not just hearers. We're called to do good, to love our neighbor. Um, but the fact of the matter is that ultimately we're called to come together to rest. We're come together to rest in the one who did this perfectly, who is always quick to hear, who is always slow to speak, who is always slow to anger. Um, who was the ultimate doer and not just hearer. Because Jesus, ultimately, he remained unstained by the world. He cared for the marginalized perfectly. He loved his neighbor. He loved God perfectly. And uh, in perfect obedience, he took the sin, our sin, on him as he was mocked, as he was scorned, as he was spat upon, and as he was, um, and as he was ultimately killed. He died the death that we deserved. He died the death that we deserved in our place. And then he, after he died, he defeated that sin. He defeated death on our behalf. And it's really that simple. When we look at something like this, when we look at James 1, 19-27, for example, and we begin to feel overwhelmed by all these things. 
We recognize and we rest that we are not the ones who do it, but God is. Um, I told our three-year-old this this week. He asked, he just asked what trust is. He just said, what's trust? I told him that it's when someone says that they're going to do something, you can be sure that they'll do it. You trust them. You trust that their word is sure. That's trust. And, and Abel, he said, that's cool. That was just, so that's cool. But guys, it's, it's over. Jesus did it. These things that, that are contained here in this text, we're actively working for them. The, the, the Spirit of Christ is working on us in order to bear these things out in our lives. But it's over. It's taken care of. It's, our sin has been removed as far as the east is from the west. Um, and all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. And all we need to do is trust Him. Trust that He did these things perfectly. Believe what He says. He would believe what He said He would do, He did. And He is doing. And just like we saw last week in that passage of Mark, we proclaim regularly together, God, we believe. Help our unbelief. Let's pray together.